Uh, welcome to the Higher Ed Huddle podcast. Today's guest is Dr. Mike Carlin. Mike is the Vice Chancellor for Information Technology and Chief Information Officer at UNC Charlotte. Since 2013, he has been leading a remarkable team of people tasked with operating and enhancing the university's IT environment. He is responsible for IT strategic planning and operations, budgeting, policy development, and overall vision. He has worked in higher education IT community for over 25 years with a wide range of professional interests, including cloud computing, federated identity management, and policy development. Mike, thank you for joining me today. Thank you for having me. In 2020, you embarked on a significant initiative to centralize IT services at the university. Um, the initiative is called One IT. Can you describe this project and how it came to be? Absolutely. Uh, so it officially kicked off in July of 2020. Uh, unfortunately, that was in the midst of the pandemic, but we'll get to more of that later. What uh, predated that was there initially had been some interest in trying to understand how we could address some of the needs of the university, spe specifically around growing enrollment, uh, research drivers, uh, increased demand for IT services and projects, expanding complexity and costs, and uh, certainly risk and scrutiny around information security. And uh, about two years prior to that, there had been an audit that had been conducted by the state of the university, and it highlighted some security areas that needed to be improved. And this uh, got the chancellor's interest, of course, and ultimately it was decided that we would embark on an assessment to understand how we might better centralize IT services specifically around reporting to one person, but also while recognizing the specific and unique needs of units and, and research areas and making sure that those needs are still addressed. Mike, you mentioned um, you know, the, the audit and what it identified as opportunities. Um, were, were there inefficiencies at the, at the time of the audit um, across, uh, across university related to IT? And was there recognition that there was the potential to create efficiencies by consolidating under one uh, direct report? Absolutely. I mean, that was certainly one of the drivers was how to improve and create more efficiencies. There were also uh, aspects of just better coordination and collaboration and opportunities for professional development of staff who previously were considered decentralized. And so in many, in some cases, those staff were reporting to non-IT professionals who really weren't able to uh, help them develop themselves or get uh, improve their skills in those areas. But certainly the risk around security was an important one. Uh, and it was just, part of it was, there was not a consistent practice in some of these departments where they were not reporting up to an IT professional. And so that was one of the underlying concerns and risks that the university was trying to address. Great. And so this kicked off last year, as you mentioned, uh, in the midst of uh, COVID. Uh, what, what was the, that experience like doing an implementation of, of this magnitude uh, in the time of COVID? Um, any pluses, uh, advantages of, of the timing? Any silver linings? And what were the challenges during this time? Sure. So uh, certainly it was not what we had anticipated for the uh, kickoff for our new organization, but uh, it did turn out that I think we actually came out better for it because of all the planning that was going on ahead of this. So, you know, again, it was approved by the chancellor uh, in January of 2020, and we had created a series of working groups to really facilitate the, the go live for the new organization on July 1. 
So as a result of that, there was a lot of teamwork already happening, especially within the desktop support areas and the endpoint computing support areas as well. And as you can imagine, those were the areas that were hit probably the most heavily, just trying to remove, trying to move hundreds, if not thousands of staff to a remote work, remote teaching position. And so as a result, we had great coordination. Everybody was working together as a team and it provided a lot of flexibility because it was no longer the haves and have nots. It was one team who was working together. We did, it wasn't one department who had a lot of staff and another who didn't. We were all working together and there was cross training. And as a result, we were able to pivot quite rapidly. Uh, in the midst of that, of course, uh, we also had a new chancellor joining us. So our previous chancellor, Philip DeWaugh, uh, had retired and we were uh, bringing on board our new chancellor, Dr. Sharon Gaber. And that resulted in uh, just another aspect of the new community and the new organization. Uh, and the new chancellor has been uh, hugely supportive of this, uh, which has been extremely helpful. And that was great to have as well. Um, I would say that probably a challenge uh, is probably the obvious one, which is not having teams on campus to work together. You know, so we didn't, we had created a new organization. And for the most part, we have not physically been together in a year. And that has created some unknowns. And that is one of the things that we're thinking about this fall is as we return to a uh, re normal operations, what is it gonna be like? Because we haven't learned what some of the gaps might be as part of the new organization and the new roles. And so that's something that we're uh, paying close attention to, to make sure uh, and identify any gaps in the new organization, any services that may have gotten lost in the shuffle. We wanna make sure that doesn't happen because of course, faculty and staff are already gonna be stressed enough returning to the campus, having been off the campus for a year. So we're trying to make sure that is as smooth as possible. You mentioned that um, you know having a, com a complete remote workforce during the during the implementation of this was there was there considerations for um, for ensuring uh, engagement because of everyone being remote, not having that physical uh, inner interactions? Was, was there any consideration to that? And what tools, if any, did did you ensure that were being you know leveraged uh, during this? Uh, period. So yes, absolutely. Uh, one of the things that, uh, of course, before we went uh, entirely remote in the March-April timeframe, we were meeting in person. Uh, but one of the things we quickly realized was, to your point, how are we going to do that uh, once we're uh, working remotely, predominantly? And so we leveraged Zoom, like many campuses did, had twice a week stand-up meetings for the first probably couple of months into the summer. Uh, and that brought together, again, uh, the teams that were necessary to help support the campus. Uh, and that included some of our server teams as well, and how do we get remote access or security teams. So we did that on a regular basis. We also heavily leveraged Slack, like a, many, a number of campuses. That has kind of gotten a good foothold, and the teams have really embraced that. And so we have Slack being used in a number of areas that allows for more real-time communication, chat, and chat groups, uh, and it's been extremely helpful. In fact, we are now looking at opportunities to expand that even broader within the one I2 organization because of its success. Yeah, it's interesting. You mentioned um, you know, in the fall time uh, frame, as people begin coming back to campus, I, I imagine that um, you know employees and staff will be um, 
a little out of sorts, uh, out of their element, not really understanding how to reconnect with uh, with their colleagues, uh, rem- you know, physically. Uh, it's been a year since, you know, most uh, institutions uh, have had really any on-campus interaction. So it'll be interesting to see what happens, um, you know, and just, and just talking with uh, CIOs across the U.S., uh, that's a, a concern, but I'm sure, uh, you know, things will work out just fine. But um, are you thinking about uh, any type of um, programs or any, any type of tools to really help reintegrate staff as they come back to campus? Um, any consideration to allowing some staff to, to remain off campus? Uh, is there any, any discussions around that? Yes, that is actually one of the ones that we've had an interesting dialogue about. And so the first thing is we're doing everything we can preemptively to better the campus for the return to normal. And so we're having our teams go around, as an example, this summer and turn on lab machines and turn on printers and turn on any computer that's been off for some reason to make sure that they're up and running. We're also encouraging faculty and staff to bring in devices earlier although we don't expect that everybody's gonna do that. And so that's one of the things that we're preparing for Uh, and just making sure that we have all hands on deck and the fact that we may have to have teams of people supporting uh, the campus that wouldn't traditionally be out there supporting endpoints just because of the numbers of machines that are gonna hit, the unknowns. We're just trying to better position ourselves and make sure that we're as ready as we can be for this. Uh, In terms of your question about telework, Um, That is something that we are going to, you know, I think all campuses are beginning to think more about what that means. And of course, uh, there are a number of staff who really would love to continue that. And we're looking at, we're creating some work groups to better assess what that means and how we could do that. I will tell you, though, that the position we have taken for our campus is that for the colleges and for the departments that joined this new organization in July, um, we are asking them to return to normal operations. So if they were working on site five days a week, we expect them to work five days a week on site. And then as we reestablish trust and build that community with those areas and those colleges and departments, it can demonstrate that we can do the job, we can support them. Then we're gonna look at extending telework to them. And a lot of that was really just to lower the stress levels. What we didn't wanna do is have faculty and staff come back after a year not knowing who is there to support them, where are my staff people who were normally here to support me, uh, that became part of One IT, and just making it a better experience for them uh, overall. Great. Mike, this was a significant and continues to be a significant project for, for you and your team. Can you describe what, what your role was in this project and where you spent majority of your time? Sure. Uh, So a lot of my time was just in communication. I mean, it is a lot of effort. I mean, certainly we had uh, our consultant group, Barry Dunn, who was there, and they were doing a lot of the legwork, a lot of the heavy lifting around doing interviews and and having uh, meetings with teams to understand uh, what types of roles and duties they were doing. Uh, But a lot of my job was just keeping the cabinet updated, keeping uh, the executive leadership and the chancellor and the provost and, and the vice chancellor for business affairs updated on this. Uh, and really something that uh, I, I've termed, uh, because my wife uses this in her, in her work, is courageous conversations. Uh, simply explaining the benefits to deans, to department heads, uh, explaining to them that this is going to be a win-win situation. Because the reality is that when any type of change, any of us who've done any kind of large change like this, we know 
that there can be a lot of concerns. And some of them are fully justified and some of them are just what if scenarios. And there were many of those who were focused on what they thought might happen and would come up with all the reasons why this wouldn't work. Uh, and I had to explain to them that, yes, this is gonna be better for us as a campus, this is gonna be better for you as a department because of the cross training, because of the professional development opportunities and really just spending a lot of time doing that. Um, that's where I probably spent the overwhelming portions of my time. And the, the other piece is just, it is, you know, to be frank, it is emotionally draining and it is emotionally and mentally draining. It's a lot of effort uh, to go around selling this. And even with, this, with the strong support from our chancellor, it takes a lot of time and effort, a lot of town hall meetings, a lot of, um, you have to have a thick skin. I mean, because you're gonna get a lot of, hey, we've, you know, we've had to work with you before and you took three weeks to get to it. And there's always a story to it. And sometimes, hey, it was us. Sometimes there's other mitigating circumstances, but you have to have, be able to have a lot of that because what happens is you get, you know, you kind of get a target painted on you and they start throwing anything they could. Most often it's things that are frankly several years old <laughs> that aren't always actually current, but you know, memories are long uh, at an uh -huh. institution. And so th those are brought up on a regular basis. So just a thick skin and just keeping your eye on the horizon, on the prize and what's gonna come out of it is the, is the way to get it done. I imagine, you know, the staff that were impacted or had some, some, some change uh, with, with the implementation of, of this were stressed at, at some level as well. Um, did you provide any type of support services for those staff? Um, did you make yourself available to any of the staff in your organization? You have a large organization, so I can't imagine that uh, you had office hours every day. Um, but maybe just talk a little bit about how you dealt with that. Yeah, I think in, in retrospect, I probably should have called them counseling hours. But uh, <laughs> so, yes, we, you know, I did. So we had a couple of team members uh, who were direct reports to me who were heavily involved in this. And yeah, I mean, what I did was make myself available to them because like I said, they all have thick skins, but there were some days where you were just kind of get beaten up in a town hall meeting or others. And I had to keep us focused and say that, you know, our job is not to argue with them. Our job is to remain positive and upbeat, not get kind of dragged into a us versus them mentality. And so a lot of it was just that those kind of conversations on a regular basis um, and having my, my making myself available to them. And they in turn made themselves available to their managers and their teams. And so I think it worked well. But yes, it was definitely something that happened. I don't know that it was scheduled. It was more uh, just kind of naturally occurred when there were vacancies or times in my schedule, people would just wander in and say, hey, I just came out of a meeting and they just needed to vent a little bit. But again, my job was trying to keep them happy, keep them uh, focused on this because it, you can get easily dragged in mired down uh, in this. And in the end, I, my team did a great job. I couldn't be more proud of them. And overall, I think it has worked quite well. That's great. Mike, what lessons learned would you share with other CIOs considering an organizational transformation such as one IT? Uh, so, of course, like everything in life, there are a lot of lessons learned. Uh, you know, looking back is always easy. I think uh, the first thing that I would probably say is if you're embarking on something like this is to be as transparent as possible uh, about what the org structure is likely going to look like at a high level uh, about that. So that that helps you kind of set the stage for where you need to, to get to and allows you to have probably a more uh, more fruitful conversations. 
I think what we have learned uh, from this, and I, and again, in retrospect, I would wish I would have known this, but I probably would have wanted to spend much more time as part of the analysis on the financial side of change. Uh, and what I mean by that is we created working groups in January of 2020 after the chancellor said this was officially going to move, move forward. And uh, one of the working groups, as you might imagine, was the financial working group. And as we started getting into this, it was kind of at the beginning, it was believed, okay, we're just going to move general funded staff position money over to this new organization. Uh, but when you really got into analysis, is, a, is of course more complex than that. So an example of this are temporary employees and student employees. So where does that money come from? It's out in the distributed areas, it's out in the departments, but it's not typically budgeted. And what I mean by that is most departments, at least on our campus and probably many others, they're not budgeted. So you, you pull that money from salary laps or from other areas and it isn't as easy to simply move that money, but that's a cost that is out there. And we heavily utilize student employees like so many others do. Uh, the other aspects we came across were fee and grant funded positions. Uh, so at least on our campus, they, they call it the color of money uh, situation. And you can't simply move fee funded and grant funded positions over to another organization. And so that meant that, okay, we're managing the positions uh, and they're, they're responsible, we're responsible for them, but the money stays with the departments. And I can tell you that one in particular became interesting as it, like everybody as we're going through the pandemic and people are trying to save money. There were questions posed to me of, hey, can I just get rid of this position uh, or can I have that money back? And so that created some challenges. Uh, the other one that was, again, we knew about, but until you really get into it, is what we term on the campus, our, our financial folks, call other than personnel, OTP. And that is really uh, contains the bucket of like training dollars, travel dollars, computer replacements for them. So who pays for that? Where does that money come from? It's, it's a sunk cost in other departments, but not everybody spends the same for each employee. So how do you move that? Uh, and then certainly the questions of equity. So equity funding had to be addressed. And what I mean by that is we had folks who joined us from other departments who are now doing the same role, but their salaries are significantly less than what our equivalent positions are in the organization. And so how do you work through that? Because that is new money. That's actually money that you have to come up with to address those equity issues. And that's an important thing to address. Of course, at the time when we were talking about it, we weren't going into a pandemic. So that created some challenges. And probably the last one, which again, we knew about, but um, something you need to consider is uh, new positions. And so our organization, uh, as part of the new organization, there were seven new positions recommended. Uh, and several of them are key positions, leadership positions as well, because when you create a new organization, as you can imagine, there, there can be some span of control issues, meaning you don't have enough managers to manage people or the new groups. Uh, and so how do you deal with that? And so that is actually, again, new money that needs to be uh, identified. And that is a challenge because some of those positions are absolutely mission critical to the success of the organization. So in our instance, uh, we had a couple of positions that we had to effectively take uh, and make people interim in that role because it was so foundational. But now we're trying to figure out how do we get those people back into their positions or get their roles back. So it's a, it's a lot to be considered. So I wish, you know, I think I probably would have spent more time thinking about that. All these things can be fixed. It just takes time, uh, but it takes a, a lot of thought amongst between the business affairs 
groups, between the functional groups, uh, and all departments about how you're going to solve these problems. Mike, was there um, any movement of staff or did most staff stay in their respective areas just for um, visibility and for um, support in those areas? So uh, overall, um, to kind of get, get, put you in some perspective is when we started out with a one IT assessment, um, again, it wasn't called one IT at the time, which was called IT assessment. There were 170 positions, full-time positions in what was considered local IT, meaning outside of the central group. So 170 outside and 120 in the central IT group. When all was said and done and we had done the assessment, the total number came in at 247 for the one IT group. So uh, I tell you that just to kind of give you a perspective of where the position sat. Uh, once the organization was created, uh, as I recall, uh, roughly 80% of the staff who were in local IT remained in those same areas, supporting those same areas. Now the team structure might be a little different, meaning they might be part of a cross of a larger team that supports, let's say a particular college, uh, but 80% of the staff remained where they were, simply with a new reporting structure that ultimately reported up to me. So when it comes to accountability, it all comes up through my organization. But again, those staff stayed out there because we recognize there are some very specialized needs in departments, in the colleges and other areas. And it just didn't make sense to try to cram that into a, an enterprise function uh, that really didn't make sense. And you, uh, you, you had a new chancellor come in, in in the midst of this project. And she uh, obviously was very supportive of this project. Um, any any insight on keeping her in the loop throughout this process, uh, especially um, related to the financial positions, uh, the financial aspects of this? Can you maybe elaborate a little bit on uh, what those conversations were like and the type of you know asks that you had to uh, kind of sent her way? Certainly. Uh, again, uh, she has been wonderfully supportive of this, but again, as a new chancellor, she kind of walked into this. Uh, and so that was, I, I will say that was always, that was fun. The first couple of meetings where I got to explain to her that there's a significant uh, funding gap associated with what the one IT organization and explain to her how we got there. And so, you know, it's, it's taken some time and I, I gave her a number of uh, high level kind of presentations and gave her kind of a PowerPoint slide deck so she could understand the history, how we got here, why we got here, and where some of these funding gaps are and, and, and what the challenges associated with them are. And so um, that was really important. And then also I had great support from our Vice Chancellor for Business Affairs as she was there. She made sure to also during her meetings explain and remind the Chancellor, the new Chancellor, that, hey, we need to address these funding issues. And so that relationship was really important as well. So it wasn't just me saying, hey, we need money. There's another, my peer who was over business affairs was saying, hey, we, we really need to make sure we address this to make this organization as successful as possible. Yeah, it's, it's wonderful that you mentioned the relationship, the strong relationships, um, you know, at that level, I think having a good relationship with the CFO make, makes a big difference, makes it easier to ask for money, certainly, but having their support can go a long way, especially, you know, having those conversations with the, the president or chancellor. Any, anything else, any departing thoughts? Um, you know, I think 
this project was and is an incredible project that, at the size that uh, that your institution is, and um, you did an incredible job, you and your team. Any final final thoughts that you want to share? You know, I think for those who are potentially interested in doing something like this, I would tell you it's worth it. I think it is. There's a lot of value here. It's a lot of work. I mean, I'm not going to mislead you. It's a lot of work to get it done. Um, but ultimately, I think for the for certain campuses, this is likely the right move. Uh, it's going to take a lot of communication, a lot of teamwork, uh, and you know, as we've talked about it, it is absolutely a marathon. Even from the time July one came around last year, we know that it's going to take years for us to completely unravel and to really uh, recognize all of the efficiencies that we are expected to gain, and so. That's something you got to keep in mind, that it is going to take some years. It's not going to be year one. You're suddenly going to be firing on all on all pistons, as they say. But uh, I think it's worth it. I think it's great. I have a great team, and we're committed to the success of One IT. Great, Mike. I want to thank you for joining me today. I thoroughly enjoyed hearing about the organizational transformation at UNC Charlotte. Uh, I think your firsthand perspective can provide thoughtful considerations for those CIOs considering an organizational change such as one IT. So thank you again very much for joining me. Thank you for having me. You can find our podcast on iTunes, Spotify, SoundCloud, and Google. Check back next month for another great topic and guest. Until then, stay well.